Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. When I was growing up, uh, we used to go school clothes shopping at a place called Marketplace Mall. There was a department store called, I believe it was Kaufman's, and it was like, if you were a cool kid, you got your clothes at Kaufman's, right? And I was not a I was not a cool kid, and so I got my clothes from the store next door. But I always looked uh, at that big, giant department store uh, with some longing eyes and thought, oh, you know what? Someday I'm going to make it, and I'm going to I'm going to get myself some cool jeans from. From Kaufman's. Well, uh, as the years went by, it turns out Kaufman's got to be less and less cool, uh, so much so that they had to, uh, well, call it a day. <clears throat> and it went out of business, and what was left behind was a, a big, giant, uh, empty space in that marketplace mall where I went growing up. And, and then I moved away and haven't been there in years. And last year, or the year before last, rather, uh, I was <clears throat> back in that same building. I was back in that same building uh, attending a friend's bachelor party. Part of the bachelor party festivities were to, uh, we did some of that real aggressive go-karting. You know, the kind that's like really fast for adults. You know, not the kind at the carnival, uh, but the real aggressive go-karting. And you know where that was? They had repurposed that department store space and turned it into uh, a go-kart track. And I'll tell you what, for all those years that the department store was struggling for customers, uh, the go-kart folks had figured it out. We stood in line for two hours before it was our turn. They figured out a new business model. And that is how things go sometimes. When the tides shift, when circumstance uh, changes, when pandemics wipe through a, a community and an economy, uh, some certain changes have to be made. One of those changes is in the way and in the place where we work. We've found ourselves working remotely so much more so than ever before. In fact, I, well, you know, I'm not going to bore you with that because I, <laughs> I bring this up and complain every chance I get. The six months I spent broadcasting from my guest bedroom, yeah. Some folks are still in that remote setting and may not come back. And it has, uh, at least to my layman's analysis, had uh, uh, an impact on commercial real estate. To help understand exactly what is happening and how uh, property owners of big commercial spaces uh, are adapting to these impacts, I'm joined uh, by an agent, John Wright, who joins me from uh, iProperties. Welcome to the program, John. How are you? I'm good, Lee. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, listen, I is there any truth to this? Are there... Are there big like bullpens and cubicle farms around town that are now uh, sitting empty with property owners scratching their head thinking, uh, how are we going to extract some value out of this property if these remote workers aren't coming back? 
There are some, and we've seen the highest amount of sublease space available in years. We're up 67% um, over last year this time for sublease space in the office market. So um, we have the normal vacancy that every market has, but then you add in the sublease space that's on the market and our, our available space has gone through the roof. So we're kind of all trying to figure out how this is going to work out as the pandemic winds down, as people get vaccinated and and whether or not they decide to come back to work or continue to work remotely. So it just depends on which business and and, uh, and what type of work they do as to what they may or may not do as far as their available office space. Are, are there some spaces, and maybe even beyond, uh, beyond just the office space, but are, are there some spaces that uh, used to house industries that have been so dramatically upended and changed that uh, they're going to have to find their own version of the go-kart track? Well, I think the Gateway Mall is probably the best example of that over the recent years, and that didn't have much to do with the pandemic at all. It just was a shift in the whole retail world that we live in. There's a new industry term we talk about when we're talking about tenants in a retail setting. Are they Amazon-proof? Meaning, Mm. do they offer some sort of goods and services that Amazon doesn't so that they become more of a, a solid tenant where, you know, People were driven to online purchasing over this last year. They, they were already trending toward that, but this past year has accelerated that. And so some of these brick-and-mortar mom-and-pop type stores, if they're offering something that Amazon can't sell or other online sellers can't or won't sell, they're okay. But if, if it's anything that, that you can find on that massive website, you just don't know how long they're going to be able to survive. And this pandemic just really exacerbated that. You, you, you talked about... Uh, you know, the, the possibility uh, of remote workers to come back. Are, are we, for the most part, or at least are, are the, the property owners, are, are, are they in a hurry-up-and-wait circumstance right now, kind of waiting to see what the impact of the vaccine will be on, like, the comfort level of employers and employees? Uh, are we still waiting to find out what the, what the next chapter of this book looks like in terms of uh, you yes, know, and that, that would be my answer to what's happening with the office market. My answer is I don't know, and I don't think anyone knows. And if anyone were to tell you they do, I think they're guessing. So, for instance, if you have a type of business with a lot of office space and you're a collaborative type business like an advertising agency or something where you have teams that need to be together and talking and communicating, I think they'll return to work. But now if you've got you know tech guys that are sitting in a cubicle, they're isolated anyway, and they're working on their – they're writing code or whatever, they could probably do that from home, and they're probably better at doing that at home than anyone than, than they would be in the office anyway. And so they might not come back. Some of the call centers that I've talked to, some want to be together. They like the competition of, of all these people making calls, selling their product. They want them to be in the same setting. Others are like, hey, they're doing fine by themselves. We don't need them to come back in. So it's a, it's a matter of reconfiguring the space to meet the needs of whichever individual company and what they've figured out. Because if I'm a CEO and I figured out that we don't need as much space and we can get the same productivity or better with remote workers, then I'm going to make that adjustment. But if I found that the productivity has dropped off, I'm going to try to get them back in the workspace. Now, you may need to alter the workspace to make it safer. Instead of having a bunch of cubes side by side, you may need to alter the space, having individual office and a little bit more distancing. We're speaking with John Wright, a commercial real estate agent, looking at, uh, you know, as broadly and specifically as possible, the impact 
that this pandemic has had on commercial real estate, specifically all of the uh, remote workers have left behind cubicles uh, that some employer and some property owner, uh, they're working on how to how to compensate the owner for, for that space and what happens to it next. Right now, it uh, looks like we're in a, a hurry-up-and-wait scenario. Uh, John, let me ask you, are, are, there, are there investment opportunities? If there are folks who are looking at the, the playing field out there, they see this uncertainty, uh, are moves being made to, to make a little bit of money? There's, there's a lot of opportunity for that. In fact, the investment market is very strong. I have some investment properties listed that I have tremendous interest in. And so there's a lot of money out there where people don't want to put it in the stock market because we're already at record highs. They certainly don't want to put it in the bank, so they want to buy some investment property real estate. So that market is strong as long as you have strong tenants that are going to stay and continue to pay rent. And the industrial market for warehousing and distribution is incredibly strong, and it will continue to be. And I think that we're unique here in Utah, even in the last recession we had in 2007, 2008, we we tend not to dip as far, and our economy is a little bit more resilient. We currently have the best economy in in the nation right now, highest in job growth and all those things. So as other companies start to to decide what they're doing or maybe closing up shop or maybe relocating, we're a prime target for that. So that could help absorb some of this office space that we have. But we, again, we have to wait and see. I saw that Wells Fargo today wants to reduce their office footprint nationwide by 20%. That will affect us here. They have a strong presence here. So there's just a lot of things that are happening that we're not sure how they're going to play out or, or what the end result will be. So If you're a savvy investor and you think you have a little bit of a crystal ball and you can pick up some of these properties that are distressed, yeah, I think there's money to be made. But there's also some risks out there because we have a lot of unanswered questions. Sure. Uh, John, listen, thank you so much for for your insight here. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, Grateful to get a, a look inside your area of expertise here. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, fascinating stuff. Because you, you, you wonder, you know, you drive around and you see all these office buildings and you know, you know, you, you think about your cousin who's been working remotely for all this time when he used to report to this building. You think about your aunt so-and-so who uh, used to work in the call center, which has stood empty for now over a calendar year. She's working at home using her own telephone. How much of that returns uh, and how much uh, how much in-person working will happen in the, the future? Uh, you heard it there from a man with his finger on the pulse. The question remains unanswered. We're in a hurry-up-and-wait scenario. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. When we return, we'll be joined uh, by the governor of this great state. Governor Spencer Cox will join me to share the details of a statewide food drive which kicked off today. There is a great need And here in the state of Utah, when there is need, we are standing ever ready uh, to support. How can you support? We'll find out next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. 
now available anywhere you get your podcasts.